standing and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be looking at chapter 6 and verse 11. Matthew 6, 11. Let's go to the Lord asking for his help in understanding this petition. Our gracious Father, we depend upon your Spirit-wrought word, the illumination from the Spirit. We thank you that this is no word of mere man. This is the word of you, our God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of God. Give us this day our daily bread. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What can you not live without? What I mean here is, if it's taken away, you cannot imagine your life going on. You cannot imagine life thriving, flourishing. Does your mind turn to something practical? Perhaps something that you use every single day. Perhaps a phone, an electronic device. Teenagers show their dependence on these electronic blessings, don't they? Perhaps it's transportation. You need to get to work somehow, so you need to have some way of getting there. You depend on a vehicle, yours or someone else's. Perhaps it's clothing. You think, well, I can't leave the house with no clothes on, so I must put on something. I must have clothing. I need it. Perhaps it's food. You don't need to eat like a hobbit, but you have to have some food, don't you? And perhaps your mind turns not to something, but to someone. Maybe your mind turns to a spouse. You cannot imagine living a day without your husband, without your wife. Or maybe your mind turns to a child. You don't know what you would do the rest of your life if you lost a child, if you preceded your child or if he preceded you in death. Perhaps it's a friend. You've seen how lovely that particular friendship is that you have in mind, and you wonder, well, what if I lost him? What if I lost her? What would happen? How could I go on? Perhaps you're super spiritual, and you can't live without your pastor. You've got to have a pastor who happens to be your spouse, your father. A lot of good candidates mentioned, and it's hard to pick one thing. It's hard to pick one person, isn't it? But don't worry. I'm not going to force you to choose. The Lord doesn't force you to choose. And to do so would be to undermine our neediness in all areas of life and to undervalue our Father's many good gifts for all that we do. It is also then to have an incomplete view of what we are asking our Father in heaven here for. In the first three petitions, we saw that the priority of our hearts is to be the glory of God, is to be vertical, Godward. And the next three petitions, never losing sight of this focus, of this glory of God, we then ask for our good. 
And in this fourth petition, we come then to our most basic need. We come to bread in all of its blessing. In daily dependence, we pray to our Father for our earthly and spiritual necessities. It is helpful to consider this bread in its fullness. This is daily bread. We misunderstand this petition if we over-spiritualize it to the ruin of our body, disregarding our body under the guise of being super-spiritual. No, we, we need bread. We pray for the earthly needs represented by bread. I mentioned in the morning that the Calvin illustrations didn't end in the morning. Here's another. In Calvin's Geneva, when people were sent to prison for a few days or a week, many of them were allowed only bread and water if they really messed up. Just bread and water. And if you only had bread, if you only had bread and water, your life wouldn't be glamorous, but at least you'd be alive. It's the basic stuff of keeping your life going. So Jesus has in mind here literal bread in its various forms, however it can be baked, its loaves, its cakes, any other way you can make it. But the Bible, interestingly, uses the word bread generally to refer to all the things that we need by which our lives are preserved. Proverbs 27, 27 refers to goat's milk as bread, as food. So next time you're drinking goat's milk, you can say you're having goat bread if you want. Does anyone drink goat's milk these days? I guess some people do. Jeremiah 11.19 speaks of the fruit of trees literally as bread. In Proverbs 31.14, the excellent woman is like the ships that bring food from afar. And we're not to understand that the ships from afar that are coming are bringing only bread, but all of the food, all of the stuff on which a society depends. In other words, we ask our Father in heaven for all the things that our bodies need. We ask for meat and drink, clothing, health, shelter, basic property, freedom, work. We sing with Baloo of the contented life if all we had were the bare necessities. If we don't want to sing, we can say with Paul, if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. And so we depend, our bodies depend on earthly, literal bread. We don't want to over-spiritualize this petition, but we definitely want to spiritualize it. Jesus does not have in mind that we are to pray this only for our physical needs. The earthly necessities speak to our spiritual necessities. As our bodies need physical bread for life, our souls require spiritual bread. For this reason, Jesus calls himself the bread from above, the manna from God in John 6. In fact, in John 6, he's referring to the episode that I read earlier this evening, Exodus 16. God gave bread to the people. And before the son was the one who is their bread. He is their life. He was using that episode to point to him being 
their daily sustenance, their spiritual necessity. Our spirits waste away and pass into eternal death if they do not feed upon Christ. But if we do feed on him, Paul tells us that we have everything that we need. In 1 Corinthians 3, he says that you are Christ, you belong to Christ, and all things are yours. If all things belong to him and you are in union with him, then he gives you all of those things. And for spiritual life, what do we need but the Spirit? We need the Holy Spirit, and the Son, who is our bread, gives us the Holy Spirit. For our spiritual life, what do we need but justification, adoption, sanctification, glorification, and these the Son provides. So these earthly and spiritual needs are more than we deserve, even if they were one-time gifts. The fact that the Lord provides for us each day is not only cause for daily praise, it is that, and we would all do well each day to thank our Father in heaven for the many things that he has given us. But it's also a reminder of our daily dependence on the good gifts of our Father in heaven. As we saw earlier, this was a lesson that God was trying to teach the Israelites in the wilderness. We know they had much difficulty learning this lesson, but for 40 years, day after day, the Lord gave them manna from above as they journeyed throughout the desert. And to meet their concerns to keep the Sabbath, or rather, to meet his concern that they keep the Sabbath, the Lord provided double the manna so they wouldn't have to collect on the seventh day. And we read what happened when they went out, when some of them went out on the seventh day to collect, there wasn't any bread. And there was a rebuke from the Lord. The Lord does seem to cover everything that is needed for life and godliness, doesn't he? And their grumbling was not because of God's supposed stinginess, but because of their downright disbelief. God impressed upon them the truth that we see in Proverbs 30, verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Centuries later, the manna from above modeled faithful commitment, contentment in the Father. When he was tempted in the wilderness, he rebuked the devil. Remember the devil said to him, turn these stones into loaves of bread. Remember the son's response is that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. The son who has taught us to pray to the Father for our earthly and heavenly life calls us then to find daily life on the words of life. And so if we have his words, then we have everything we need. We don't need the words of philosophers. We don't need the words of the secular sage. We need Scripture. We need the Spirit-inspired Word of God. I was listening just last week to a Reformed Christian professor who has now gone to be with the Lord, and he was teaching a bunch of seminarians or Christian professors college kiddos, he was teaching them ethics. It was a class on Western thought, and he was speaking of ethics. And he was talking about how he often 
interacts with the secularists, the atheists, as far as uh, concern of justice. Apparently, the atheists don't know how to define justice. And he was saying to his students, well, here's, here's what you do. Here's how you um, bridge that gap with that atheist who doesn't know how to define justice. You refer them to Aristotle and his Nicomachean Ethics. There is where you will have the definition of justice. Oh, there's nothing wrong with Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics. It's a good piece of, of literature. Perhaps you could read it. But that was an opportunity lost in my book. Because I believe the Bible does speak quite a bit about justice. Certainly you can go to the Bible to have the infallible, definitive understanding and application of justice. Just a reminder that even sometimes we Christians... Even we Reformed Christians go to the world for life's answers when we have life's answers right here. These are our bread and water. It is our food to follow the Father. And we do this by following the Son whose meat and drink was the Father's will. It is an act of providence. It is not an act of pure chance that our Savior was born in a place called Bethlehem. The word literally means house of bread. And of course, it has a history of remarkable value. It was the burial site of the beloved Rachel. It was the hometown of great King David. But most significantly, it was the birthplace of our Messiah. It is not a surprise, though we would marvel, that the bread from above would be born in the house of bread, certainly as a way to foretell his mission to give life to all who eat. He who came to the house of bread will give you this bread always. Indeed, he invites you. He invites you to come, to open the door to this house of bread, to his heart. And he will come and sup with you. Through this petition, we pray that the heavenly house of bread will forever be open to us. And we pray confidently and we give praise to our Father because he has ensured that this house is always open to us, his children. So we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Does the start of this petition startle you? Does it sound too bold, too demanding? This word give is, after all, a command. But not all commands in Scripture have the force of a demand. Especially when the creature commands God, it is an urgent request. At the same time, knowing our place. We know our dependence, and so we ask, give us. We do well to be reminded that we must ask God and depend on him to give what we need. We do not deserve a crumb of his grace, but our Father gives us more than crumbs. Praise be to him. Sometimes children demand that their parents give them good things. Parents, perhaps you know this. You might hear, yo, mom, get me a soda. I can't get up right now. I'm on level 32. And your mom graciously might get you that soda because she loves you. Or she might say, no, get it yourself lazy little kid. 
I'm reminded of the first uh, ep- not episode, the first movie of the Harry Potter, Harry Potter series. And you recall, if you've seen it, if you've read the book, if you watched the movie, you recall when Dudley, it's time for him to, it's his birthday, it's time for him to uh, look at what he has. And Aunt Petunia, Harry, Harry Potter's aunt, she covers Dudley's eyes, and she walks him down to the room, and she uh, you know, takes her hands off his eyes, and he sees, and he scans the room, and he asks, how many are there? Remember that? And father says, 36. 36, 36, well, last time I had 37. Well, this time we have quite a, there's quite a big, you know, they're bigger than last year. I don't care how big they are. And then what does Aunt Petunia do? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the store and get you two new gifts. And you'll have one more. Ungrateful, snot-nosed kid. It's then that we, that we learn to hate this kid. And he doesn't get better throughout the, the series. This is not to be our approach to our Father in heaven when we say, give us this day our daily bread. We're not demanding from our God that he give us what we need. We need it. We cannot live without the daily bread. We don't demand We can maintain a reverential boldness and a faith-filled humility when we ask our Father for what we need, all the while knowing that He loves to give us what we need, that we might serve Him faithfully. Our Father in heaven loves it when we show Him our need, when we ask Him for His gifts. Now, when a parent is thinking rightly, that word rightly is key here, when a parent is thinking rightly, to hear a child's need is a good thing. Not an annoyance. Child knows that you have something that can help him. And so he says, Mom, may I please have my water filled? Mom, may I have some lunch? He might not ask that politely. But that's a, that's a good thing. Not every parent in history, however, hears their child's pleas with wisdom. Back in Calvin's day, there was abuse, just like there is today. And I'm reading, just reading some of the cases that came before the consistory and then the, the magistrates, and there's, there's a lot of abuse, as I just mentioned, abuse between spouses, usually the husband. Uh, if there was abuse in the home, the husband abused his wife. There was much abuse in the school. The teachers were given a lot of latitude for corporal punishment, and a lot of the teachers crossed the line significantly. But often there was also abuse from parent to child, and usually if that took place, it was between the mother and the child. And there's this one case when this mother was brought before the consistory because she gave her son bread and butter, but it wasn't just bread and butter. She had the piece of bread, and before she put the butter on the bread, she spread a layer of tar and then put the, the butter on the bread. Can you imagine, can you imagine the scene? The kids who's hungry says, Mom, may I have some bread, please? 
She must say, oh, of course. Maybe he had done something wicked that morning, and she's upset with him. Maybe she's just a wicked woman. I don't know. And she then goes to the kitchen area, takes the, the bread out, and layer, you know, puts a layer of tar, and then puts the, the butter on the bread, and then says, here you go, son. Here is what you need. And takes a bite, and of course it's funny, and it, feels, it tastes funny. And it's not, it's not life that he receives, it's, it's death. It's poison. How malicious is that? How wicked is that? That's not how a parent is to treat her child. And we're thankful that the father does not treat us, his children, this way. He does not give us a serpent for food but instead sends his only begotten son to crush the serpent, that the son might be our manna from above, our eternal food. Our Father in heaven does not stop at giving us food each day for our bodies just to keep on going. Prolonged existence is not in itself a blessing. But he has given us the eternal manna, the bread of God, his son, for our whole lives that they might keep on going for all eternity and in all blessedness. Our Father truly is the best giver. And because of this, He means for us to enjoy these gifts. He means for us to delight in them as coming from His good heart. We see all these gifts not only as necessary, but as delights, as presents from the Father. Psalm 104 says that God gives us wine to make glad our hearts and oil to shine our faces. That's not just to keep your bodies trucking, but that you would enjoy God's creation. And pray for eyes to see the panoply of of gifts before, before us from our Father's heavenly bounty. In this petition, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. And so when we pray this petition, we do pray for ourselves. You do have needs. And your Father in heaven knows what these needs are. So pray for them, for yourself, yes. But also pray for the us. Pray for the others. William Perkins says, the candle spends itself to give others light. So use your prayers for the good of others. Think of others who have less than you have and pray for God to give them their daily bread and know that the Lord might very well answer your prayer through you. Think of those who have more than you and pray for their wise stewardship and for them to have hearts full of gratitude. That'll be one way for you to do away with any envy or jealousy, discontentment, any godless grumbling because you don't have what that person has? They have more than what you have? Now pray that the Lord would, would help them to use those rich resources wisely. Rejoice because they have those things. Rejoice with those who rejoice in God's earthly and spiritual gifts. The call for us all here is to be content. He doesn't call us, doesn't call most of us anyways, to subsist on a single rice a day, as the Buddha is known to have done. But he does call us to be content with whatever we have. 
Perhaps you've heard the tale of the fisherman and his wife. They lived together in a little hut near the sea. One day the fisherman caught a great flounder, which was really an enchanted prince. Of course it was. And so he threw the thing back into the water. When asked by his wife what he had caught, he told her, and she rebuked him for not making a wish first. He should have wished for a better place to live in than such a miserable hut. So she forced him to return, catch the prince fish again, and wish for a cottage. As the story goes, he found the fish prince, wished on his wife's behalf, who then granted her wish. And what a charming, clean, full cottage this was. She had all that she needed and more. Two weeks hadn't passed before the wife, named Isabel, commanded her husband to return to the sea to wish for an even larger house, this time to wish for a castle. Reluctantly and frustratingly, he obeyed. He found the flounder and was told that upon his return home, he would see a castle for them. And sure enough, there it was. The next morning, Isabel rose and thought that with the castle, you know, she she ought to be queen. Her husband had no interest in being king, but she insisted, I must be the queen. And so he returned to the sea, asked the flounder, and thus she became queen. One day passed when she insisted on being the pope. Disregarding her husband's pleas and wise counsel in 1 Timothy 2, she insisted, I will be pope. He fearfully returned to the sea, and her wish was granted. He went home, found a great church, and Isabel upon a high throne. He and Isabel, the queen pope, then went to bed. She rose very early, and as the sun was rising, she thought to herself, well, why should I not do that? And commanded her husband to tell the flounder that she wants to be able to make the sun rise. So, he asked the flounder, and the flounder replied to the fisherman, Return, and find her back in her hut. They remained there the rest of their days. You can see the discontentment that spills out of hearts that see earthly goods for self-exaltation. But our Father in heaven has given us all that we need and much more besides. He has indeed made us royalty. He has made us sons and daughters and royal priests. Sons and daughters in the finest kingdom on heaven and earth. Do we believe this? Do we affirm this? Do we act like this? How can we not be joyfully content when we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us all that we need, all that pertains to life and godliness. We pray that we will not squander your good gifts, but use them as Opportunities to give you praise. Help us, Lord, to use them wisely for the glorification of your name and the good of your kingdom. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen.